God loves a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver. Duh. God is a cheerful giver. Straight up. It's who he is. It's what he does. He just gives and gives and gives all the time, every day. And he does it cheerfully, not begrudgingly. And that's what the cross of Jesus is all about. God gave up his son Jesus for us precisely because God is a cheerful giver. Understand this, the cross did not make God a cheerful giver. God is a cheerful giver, and the proof of that is that he gave up his one and only son Jesus for our sins. He cheerfully made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so God, the ultimate cheerful giver, he loves a cheerful giver because it shows that we are like him. God loves when his kids are like him. God loves when his kids imitate him. God loves when his kids bless their siblings. God loves when his kids bless their siblings that they don't get along with and that they don't like. As we've already seen in our series in 2 Corinthians, God loves to show his kindness to his kids through his kids. It cheers God's heart, if you will, when we imitate him and when we cheerfully give to others. It pleases him. And that's what we'll see in God's word today. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to see that God is a cheerful giver and he loves his children to be cheerful givers because when they do that, they are just being like dad. And don't we, don't you want to imitate your heavenly father? Don't we want to imitate him? Be like him? Listen, just like any earthly parent, it thrills God's heart to see his kids love and care for their brothers and sisters. Parents, if we are full of pride and joy when we see our own kids genuinely and cheerfully love and care for their siblings, my goodness, how much more must it please and thrill the heart of our Heavenly Father when we love and care for one another? I mean, if it just thrills your heart, parents, when you see your kids loving their siblings, how much more must it thrill the heart of God when we love and care for one another? And the practical side of this is this. When you give, it brings a smile to God's face, if you will. It pleases him. When it thrills your heart to give, it thrills God's heart. When you give cheerfully, God is cheerfully cheering you on as you give cheerfully. And that just might change how you approach passages that talk about giving and tithing because we don't normally approach those passages with joy, do we? In fact, we might be tempted to grimace when we read passages about giving away our money or grimace when we actually do give away our money. But if we do it cheerfully, 
it brings a smile to God's face. Something to think about. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 1 and hear the word of the Lord. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So in these First five verses of 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is just rehashing everything that he said back in chapter 8. Paul loves to repeat himself. Have you noticed that? Some preachers do that, don't they? Hmm. Anyway, Paul is sending Titus and crew to collect this offering, and he wants the Corinthian church to have it ready when he shows up to get it so they won't let him down. After all, Paul has been bragging to the Macedonian churches all about Corinth and how they had this gift ready. So Paul wants to show up in Corinth and have the Macedonians who are with him say to him, the Corinthian church is just as you describe them, Paul. God is at work in this church family. Now, concerning this offering that was being taken up, there's a key word found two times in verse 5. Look at it. The gift you have promised, so that, me, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. This is the Greek word, blessing. Paul wants the Corinthians to give out of a heart stirred up by the gospel, a heart that longs to bless other people, and not because they felt like Paul was twisting their arm behind their back and waiting on them to cry uncle. In verse 5, here's what Paul is saying. I sent the brothers to you to get what you had pledged to give. The blessing that you promised, have it ready as a willing blessing. It's the word blessing there. And the phrase, not as an exaction, is really the Greek word for covetousness or greediness. It's the Greek word pleonexia. That's the perfect word to describe covetousness, isn't it? Pleonexia. Brother, you're a greedy person. You have a case of pleonexia. It's the word that Jesus used in Luke 12 when he said, be on guard against all covetousness. What does he mean by that? I think he means that you can be poor and covet things and you can be rich and you can be loaded and still covet things. What is covetousness? Coveting is desiring what others have so that you can get it for yourself. And it's the opposite of generosity, which is desiring for others to have what you possess. And so here's what I think Paul is saying in verse 5. Give to this offering, not thinking, how much can I keep for myself, but how can I be a blessing to others? 
In fact, Paul will use the same word blessing as he continues. Two more times. Look at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The point that Paul wants to make here is simply this. The way that you sow is the way that you will reap. This covers not just financial matters, but all of the Christian life. If you give very little of your time, very little of your resources, very little of your treasures and talents, then you can expect little return in your life of God's blessings. We see this in nature, don't we? If you've ever had a garden, then you know this principle to be true. A farmer does not go into his field and be a miser and be stingy and only drop a few seeds in each of his rows and then say to his wife, this is going to be the biggest harvest ever, Lucille. Get out here and look at this. I dropped one seed every 12 feet, and boy, are we going to have a harvest of cucumbers this year. It doesn't work like that in Cletus and Lucille's garden, and it doesn't work like that in giving, too. Some of y'all are trying to get over that accent just then, aren't you? You're trying to process that. What language was he speaking? I was just speaking English. But what exactly will you get in return? Is Paul promising us more cash, more cheddar, a stack of Benjamins? Is that the goal? Do we give so that we can get more money? If that's the case, then it seems like a no-brainer, right? Give some money to a church ministry, and God will double, triple, maybe even quadruple it. Not exactly. That's not Paul's point here. That is what prosperity say, preachers say on TV. They preach verses out of context, and they tell you to give so that you can get more back than you gave. That's covetousness. That's greediness. That is not a heart, not the heart of gospel-centered giving. That kind of teaching is anti-gospel. It's self is all that it is. We give in order to be a blessing to others, not to get more and more material blessing added into our lives. So the word bountifully there in verse 6 is really the same word blessing that we saw in verse 5. Paul is saying, if you sow blessingly, then you will reap blessingly. Notice how Paul doesn't even bring up the word money. Did you notice that? He doesn't use the word money. Why? Because Paul doesn't see giving as merely cash, cheddar, Benjamins. Paul sees giving as blessing. For Paul, it wasn't money or cash. He didn't have a category for that. That wasn't in Paul's vocabulary at all. Paul refers to offerings and tithes and finances, etc., as blessings. And I think he's on to something. And that's something to think about, isn't it? You see, too often we get it all mixed up. We think it's our money, right? But it's not ours at all. It's all God's. But we tend to think of, I'm giving my money. But it's not our money. It's God's. And it's not really money that we give. It's blessing that we give. And that right there 
will turn the discussion of giving upside down. How so? Because when we give blessings, that's exactly how it is seen on the receiving end. People receive a blessing through the ministries here at Grace. When you give your money here, and it is money, no doubt about it, you're putting money into that box back there. It is money, but when it is used to minister to other people, it is seen as a blessing. The kids at Awana don't see all the ways that they are ministered to as cash. But our money supports that ministry here. They experience it as care and love and concern. When you sing a song led by the worship team, you don't think, Man, thanks, Chet. That money really moved me. No, you say, Thanks, Chet. That song was a blessing. It really ministered to me. When you are moved by a sermon, you don't think, wow, Pastor Benji, that sermon was money. Well, I want you to say that after my sermons. Wow, Benji, that sermon was money. Not really. The point is this. When you are touched by some aspect of ministry here at Grace, it is because there has been some financial backing there. But when it comes out on the receiving end, it is seen as a blessing. And that's why Paul refers to it as a blessing on the front end. So God gives back blessings to those who give so that they can bless more and more. And as we each participate in this process, we all get blessed by one another's blessings and others get blessed by our blessings and we get blessed by theirs and the cycle just goes on and on and on. It's just blessing, 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 blessing all around. We're all giving blessings and we're all receiving blessings. It's God's kids blessing one another. God's kids blessing their siblings. And that, y'all, that thrills the heart of God. When you give cheerfully, God loves it. God loves to see his kids cheerfully blessing others. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver. And when you give You're just copying your heavenly father. You're demonstrating the gospel in a very real, tangible way. And so it's not how much you give. It's not the amount that you give to any church or to any ministry. It's whether or not you are giving generously and sacrificially and cheerfully and from the heart so that you can be a blessing to others. So is that how you would describe the way you feel when you drop a check in the offering boxes or when you use the church app? Are you like Cletus and you say, Hey, Lucille, I get to be a blessing to someone. Yeehaw! This kind of perspective changes all of that, doesn't it? Suddenly, dropping money into those boxes at the back of the sanctuary can be a fun, heart-thrilling thing. I mean, imagine that. Giving away your money can be fun and exciting and can actually thrill your heart. And so here's the bottom line of verse 6. If you sow blessing, then you're going to reap blessing. 
in some way. When you sow and you give your money away and you are a blessing to someone, it really matters what is going on inside your heart at that moment. God looks at what is going on inside your heart as you give, not so much what is coming out of your wallet. Let me say that again. God looks at what is going on inside your heart as you give, not so much what is coming out of your wallet. Now let me show you. Look at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And here's the reason why. For God loves a cheerful giver. This verse right here tells you all that you need to know about giving. Okay? How do you determine, number one, how to give? And then how do you determine, number two, how much to give? How do you give and how much do you give? This verse provides the answer. Let each one give as he has decided in his heart. Notice the word each there. That means everybody gives. God expects all of his kids to give something. God expects every person to be regularly giving something. But how much does God expect his kids to give? How much are we supposed to give? That's the million-dollar question, pun intended, isn't it? Now, of course, if you grew up in the church, you're probably thinking this. Well, I've always heard that we are to tithe, meaning that we are to give 10% of our income. Aren't we supposed to give 10%? Pastor, that's what I've heard my whole life, 10%. The answer to that question, aren't we supposed to give 10%? And this may come as a surprise to some of you. The answer to that question is no. The Bible never tells us to give 10%. What does verse 7 say? Let's look at it again. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. We give as we have decided in our own hearts. Now, you may be thinking, whoa, pastor, don't say that. Don't tell people that they are supposed to give as they have decided in their own heart because then people probably won't even give 10%. Shh, shh, with all of this give as you decide business, pastor. But what does God's word say in verse seven? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Listen, I am very comfortable preaching God's word as it says. Preaching it, stepping back. I'm not going to worry that some people may start giving less than 10% if that's what they were giving before. But now it's like, hmm, I can give as I want, as I decide in my heart. I trust the Lord. And I trust y'all. I believe in y'all. We are a very giving and caring church. I trust the Holy Spirit to move in every single person's heart to lead them as to how much they should give here. This is his church anyway, isn't it? He wants to keep the doors open, he'll do it. And if he wants to shut the doors, listen, there is no amount of money that can keep the Spirit from shutting these doors if he wants to. But you may be thinking, what about the Old Testament tithe? Didn't they tithe 10% in the Old Testament? Yes. 
The Old Testament does speak of tithing. It does speak of giving 10%. Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 14, Deuteronomy 26, Nehemiah 10, for example. But worshipers in the Old Testament actually gave somewhere between 22 to 30% in a given year. Let that sink in. All right, some of you need to like put on your seatbelt. So go ahead and buckle up and I'll say it again. Worshippers in, in the Old Testament actually gave 22 to 30% every single year. 22 to 30%. Mm-hmm. Gulp. When you hear 22 to 30%, some of you may become the cold sweat emoji. 22 to 30% was the total tithe in the Old Testament. And so now you may be thinking, whoa, pastor, cool your engines, bro. Don't tell me that. I changed my mind. Let's go back to verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart. I like that better than 22 to 30%. Understand this. The New Testament never tells us to give 10%. So if you want to go to the Old Testament to tell people to tithe, then you have to come to grips with the fact that they gave somewhere between 22 to 30%. And now suddenly everybody likes that phrase, each one must give as he has decided in his own heart. In the Old Testament, the first tithe, the first 10% went to the priests who worked at the temple because they did not have any land whatsoever to have a garden and get cucumbers. They worked at the temple. They had no land to be able to. So your first 10% of your income went to them. But there was also a second tithe a budgeted 10% that was to be spent at the three annual festivals in Jerusalem. And then every third and sixth year, a third tithe known as the poor tax was due. Not to mention that if you owned land, you were to leave the corners of your fields for the poor. So you couldn't even harvest all of your land. You had to leave four corners and tell the poor, you guys can come and take whatever you want. They were very generous in the Old Testament. Old Testament scholar Alan Ross explains, he says, Thus, a faithful Israelite family could pay anywhere between 22 to 30% in a given year. All of this adds up to a sizable financial responsibility for those under the law who profess to be righteous worshipers. But it was all necessary because the laws were part of a full socioeconomic system, not just the support of a religious organization. This is why it is not easy to transfer the rules of tithes and offerings over to the church. A simple 10% is a small part of what Israelites paid. If people try to live under the law today, they cannot ignore all of the covenant obligations. So if you want to go to the Old Testament to look for guidelines and how much to give, you might not like it. If you want to give the way someone in ancient Israel gave, then plan on giving away 22 to 30% of your income. 10% was not the Old Testament standard. It was more like 30%. So, back to the pun intended million dollar question. How much should we give to our church? Can we give 10%? Is that acceptable? Sure. And that's a great start. But some may need to give more. Some may not be able to give 10%. Some may need to give more. 
Because if you make $1 million a year and you stick with a strict 10% tithe, which means you're just giving $100,000, you probably need to give more than 10%, don't you? I mean, surely you don't need $900,000 to live on. Well, this is California, so maybe you do need $900,000 to live on. Right? Here's the bottom line to what Paul is saying in these verses. Give as the Holy Spirit leads you. Give from the heart and give cheerfully. Don't speak so much in numbers. That's where we go wrong. Instead, use descriptive words to describe your giving, like those found in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Let me read a few of these descriptive words. Abundance of joy according to their means, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging to give, desiring to give, ready to give, with zeal, blessing, not as an exaction, not greedy or covetous, so bountifully, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, cheerful. It's better to use adjectives to describe giving, not numbers or percentages. Let me say that again. It's better to use adjectives to describe your giving and not strictly numbers or some percentage. The point here is to be generous and to do it cheerfully and to do it from the heart. And when you give, remember that God loves a cheerful giver because God himself is a cheerful giver. I was just reading in Luke 12 yesterday, I quoted earlier how Jesus said uh, to be aware of all kinds of covetousness. But then he says to the disciples, fear not little flock, for it is the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom which means the entire universe is ours because we're in Christ. And when Jesus returns and make everything new, then you can look up at the sky in a telescope and point to Saturn and tell your buddy, that belongs to me. It belongs to us. He's giving us the kingdom because he's generous. And in the meantime, he says, don't worry. I take care of the flowers. I take care of the birds of the air. So you know what I did yesterday after reading that passage? As I was driving around town doing things, I kept looking for vultures to be eating on the side of the road and birds. And I was like, I need to remind myself that God is faithful. And I would look at flowers and say, look how Jesus has clothed them. If he's going to take care of that flower and take care of that bird, he's going to take care of me. And so I just was just saying, God, you're faithful. Listen, do that. There's something you can do this week. Here's some homework. As you see a bird eating some French fries from in and out that somebody dropped on the ground, look at that and say, my God's going to take care of me because he's taking care of that bird. He gave that bird French fries from in and out. He's going to take care of me. And when you see pretty flowers growing, you look and say, look how he's clothed them. He's going to clothe me and take care of me. Why? Because he is a giver. That's who he is in his nature. There is nothing stingy or miserly or begrudging with God. He's a giver. That's all he does is give and give and give and give. He is lavish with his love. He is extravagant with his grace. 
He is limitless with his kindness to us. And he's just overflowing with mercy. And we see that at the cross. God gave cheerfully from the heart when he gave us his son, Jesus. And he calls on us to give cheerfully from the heart. And so what we need to do when we think about giving is we focus on a person, not on a percentage. Okay, let me say that again. We focus on a person, Jesus, not a percentage. We focus on Jesus and his sacrifice, and then we determine how much we will give. And our giving should always come from a heart that has been overwhelmed with the gospel. We give generously and cheerfully because God gives generously and cheerfully. Look again at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, let's look at a couple of those phrases. Not reluctantly literally means not sorrowfully, not grieving, not painfully. It's the word for pain or grief. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul told the Corinthians, I wrote you this painful letter. That's the exact same word here, painful. And sometimes it can feel painful when we give, right? What does Cletus say? Oh, Lucille, this hurts. This stings, honey. It's painful to give. But Paul reminds the Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver, not a painful giver, not someone who grimaces. And then that phrase, under compulsion, means that we should never give because we feel that we have to. That God is watching us or somebody else is watching us, so we better give. Or that we're being forced to. God wants us to decide how to give in our hearts and then to give from the heart cheerfully and not like we're getting a tooth pulled and they didn't numb our mouth or give us any Novocaine. He wants us to give cheerfully. So here's what Paul is saying. Let your heart, informed by the Spirit, not your mind, not what others think of of you, let your heart do the math in determining what to give. Let the cross not a calculator, help you in determining how much you should give. Give from a grateful heart, not with reluctance and not under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful, happy, jolly, merry, sunny, joyful giver. God loves it when we give like this. So I like to imagine God saying to one of the angels, when somebody like puts something in the offering box or uses the church app. I like to imagine God saying, look at this, boys. Did you see that? One of my kids just gave with joy. Did you see that, Gabriel? I want you angels to understand that I love it when my people give cheerfully. I love it when my kids bless their siblings. And then I like to imagine the angels later on talking around the water cooler, and they say, did you see God's joy? I mean, it was just bubbling over. These human beings that he redeemed put that green paper in that little offering box and the Lord just burst forth in joy. How is that? Do you want to be one of those people? Do you want to bring joy to God's heart? Do you want to stump an angel? Have him wonder? Then give cheerfully. It pleases God. 
God loves a cheerful cock-a-hoop giver. You can look that word up. I ran across it this week and I liked it. Cock-a-hoop. God loves a cock-a-hoop giver. God doesn't want you to give like you're getting your teeth pulled. He doesn't want you to give because you feel you have to or you're being pressured to. He doesn't want you to give some predetermined percentage and that's all. He wants you to give sacrificially from the heart, knowing it will be a blessing to someone else. He wants you to give blessingly. God loves a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver. God is the most giving person in the universe. Think about that. This is our God, Grace. Christian, this is your God. He is the most giving person in the entire universe. I love that. When somebody asks you about Jesus next time, here's an opportunity for you to witness and say, you know what? Or just go to work tomorrow and say, you know what I learned yesterday about Jesus or I was reminded of is he's the most giving person in the world. And have them go, what? Say, yeah, the God that I worship is the most giving person in the world. He just gives all the time. He's been giving since we woke up this morning. All he's been doing is giving. He's the most cheerful, happy, jolly, merry, sunny, joyful giver. Is that how you picture God? Who's just like, here, take it. It's all for you. And the proof that he's not some miser or curmudgeon or that he's stingy, number one, God has given you. He's given us so many good things to enjoy. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And that includes family and coffee and tri-tip and reggae music. You know who came up with reggae? Look at God did 10 million years ago. He just waited for the day for somebody in Jamaica to be like, I got this new little thing. And just reggae music. God gave us reggae music to enjoy. And he gave us sunsets. And he gave us lemon scones. Oh, my goodness, he's so good, isn't he? Shall I go on? God has cheerfully given us so many wonderful things to enjoy in this wonderful world of his. Because he's a cheerful giver. And that includes reggae and lemon scones. And then number two, God gave us Jesus. He sent his own son to die on the cross for your sins, for all of the evil and gross thoughts and words, actions and motives that have characterized our lives. And you and I don't deserve a lick of his goodness but he cheerfully gave us Jesus. He was happy and jolly and merry and sunny and joyful as he gave Jesus. And so he gives us his kingdom, as he says in Luke 12, and then he gives us himself. You rub that into your wallet and then pull some green paper out and go bless someone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no more cheerful giver than you. There is nothing stingy, begrudging, or miserly about you at all. Not a drop, not a trace. You are lavish with your love and extravagant with your grace and limitless with your patience and your kindness towards us. 
Father, you say to us with full-hearted, measureless joy, you say to us, eat and drink. You give us gospel delicacies in abundance, and you give us creature comforts galore. It all comes from you. Indeed, you have given us Jesus, and you freely give us all things. We praise, bless, and adore you today. May your grace and may your spirit make us more cheerful and more generous. In your name we pray, amen.